Kelly from Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rum and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Kelly Fennell, Julia Klein, Jennifer Nevins, and Roseanne Polito. Our program tonight coming to you from our base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Wherever you're listening from coast to coast, the phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to send me an email message, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. You want to send me a tweet, it's at Dumo at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web audio and video at beyondthebeltway.com. And, of course, Every Sunday night, we are now live on the Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page. And we got a lot of responses uh, last week on the Facebook page. So uh, if you want to befriend us uh, and join us, uh, it's just another way to see us and hear us every Sunday night. Uh, As usual, we have just a a lot to talk about this evening. And uh, before the release of the the three Koreans at 3 o'clock in the morning... And before the decision by the president on the Iran deal, uh, one of the biggest stories uh, really came out of the Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions. Earlier in the week, he held a press conference and he he announced his zero-tolerance policy in which uh, it's a policy he's he's not taking any more guff from anybody. And he's basically saying if parents bring their children here, their children will be separated from them. And this is what the attorney general had to say. He said, if you cross the border unlawfully, then we will prosecute you. It's that simple. We don't want to separate families, but we don't want families to come to the border illegally and attempt to enter into this country improperly. The parents are subject to prosecution, while children may not be. Roseanne Polito, uh, you've been on this program for a long time, well over 15 years. Uh, You have been an outspoken uh, critic of the U.S. immigration policy. Your reaction to the Attorney General? Uh, Well, what I know is that when we do things in life, there are consequences. And I think what we saw with the caravan coming up, most of them with their hands up in the air, um, being defiant. And so I think a line had to be drawn because there's been too much abuse and people have had it. Kelly Fennell, you are also joining us this evening. You are an immigration attorney. Nice to have you with us. Your maiden voyage here. It's a pleasure to be here. What's your reaction to what the attorney general had to say? Well, first off, I think there's an important distinction to make with the caravan, and that is that the caravan did actually attempt to present themselves at a port of entry and enter lawfully under, I believe it's 8 U.S.C. 222.5. I might be a little off on my citation there. (laughs) So the law basically says if someone presents themselves at a port of entry, then they are to be inspected, and then it is up to CBP, Customs and Border Protection, whether or not they're actually going to be admitted. Now, if a person who comes to a port of entry and says, hey, I'm afraid to go back to my country, then, they, then what's called credible fear proceedings are triggered, and they are supposed to be vetted by an asylum officer. That's the law. So I don't think it's fair to lump the caravan in with illegal entry. Now, the caravan also specifically advised people not Oh, that if they did cross illegally, not through port of entry, they would be prosecuted. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Nevins, uh, you're the official Trumpster at the panel this evening. Uh, your reaction to uh, what the Attorney General is uh, doing? 
Well, you know, it's no secret my views on this. I take a pretty hard stance. I mean, I think that this is something that's that's needed. I mean, I agree with you, Rosanna. There's consequences to this. I think the bigger story for me, and Jeff Sessions knows it, and, and everybody in charge knows it, the Democrats know it, you know, they traveled all the way through Mexico. If they were looking for safe harbor, which let's say that they were, they were looking for a safe place, they were fleeing their country, war-torn country, in danger of their lives, then why didn't they stay in Mexico? Right. They traveled all the way through Mexico. Mexico helped them along. They did this on purpose. Mexico is a safe country for them to stay in. God knows Mexico has enough money to take care of them. We know this. And so the whole thing just smacks of a stunt. Uh, Julia Klein, Julia, you're our, our card-carrying Democrat this evening. Uh, what about uh, Jennifer's particular point that, again, uh, you know, m- maybe Mexico should be doing a little more to deal with this issue that they're having because, obviously, people are coming into their country from uh, uh, Central America? Well, our country as a whole has an immigration problem. Uh, we need to be having a meaningful discussion about reforming our immigration policy. It's broken in a couple of different ways. But I think everybody con- agrees with that one. Who's Except arguing? Maybe, not, yeah. My point, though, is that not our Congress. Our Congress is not having any kind of meaningful debate. It is not being brought to the floor. And absent that, what Jeff Sessions says comes across to me as rather draconian. If we were having meaningful Uh, authentic, integrity conversation about discussing what's good for the country, what's good from a humanitarian perspective for people who are fleeing there for their lives, then fine. Then we can take a hard stand on people who are then breaking those rules. Roseanne, Roseanne, in in your view, are there there legitimate reasons why people who want to come to the country and seek asylum? Do you you understand that some of them may have legitimate concerns? Uh, I would hope so, but the interviews I saw of the people, they were given asylum in Mexico. They said they're feeding us, they're good to us, they've been offered asylum there, so the first country they come to is where they need to stay. That's actually not what the law says. There is no requirement that someone seeks asylum in Mexico, and while that might be an attractive opportunity for some people, and some members of the caravan did actually seek asylum in Mexico, But the fact is, that's not always an option. For example, there was a Honduran journalist that was granted asylum in Mexico. And the same people targeting that journalist in Honduras found that person and killed them in Mexico. I have assisted with an asylum case here in the United States where a woman was granted asylum in Mexico and then became a victim of sex trafficking. So to generalize and say everyone should seek asylum in Mexico is just not what the law says. Why why is, explain to the audience in, in lay terms... What does it mean to seek asylum, and, and how easy is it for an, uh, an officer of immigration and naturalization to say, okay, we, we accept you? Well, um, that actually depends on if you're talking about someone getting put into proceedings at the border versus the court system, right? Um, what about at the border? Someone's, okay, someone's we'll picked up the at so the border. If someone is, comes into custody of border, Customs and Border Protection, then they're m- – if their space are oftentimes placed in detention and they're scheduled for what's called a credible fear interview where they have to talk to an actual U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services asylum officer. That and if someone is coming with a family, if, 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 if it's a husband and a wife and let's say they have three or four children, uh, w- are they separated at that particular point? Um, well, my particular experience, I go down to the border at least once every year and spend a full week in a women and children detention center. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my experience, what I see every year is that their women and children are often detained in one center. There are three of them across the United States, two of which are in Texas. And then the father is usually bumped around through a bunch of different detention centers, and these are all private for- for-profit facilities. But this is the problem. In 2009, there were about 5,000 cases of credible fear 
uh, asylum or refugees. In 2016, there were 94,000 cases. And so something needs to be done because it's, I think it's become a game. Why not? When you talk about something being done, though, during the campaign, everyone knows what Donald Trump said during the campaign. There should, there should have been no confusion on the part of anyone as to whether or not they were going to be welcome to the United States with an open right. arm, okay? Right. So this is, we're now a year into his administration, so no one should be surprised by it, but the number of people attempting to get into the United States has gone up significantly, over that's, 200%. That's not true. It's inaccurate. Oh. That's completely we're, inaccurate. We're going, to, we're going to come back and debate that. <laughs> that's not what Customs and Border Protection says. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. This spring, Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, during the break, uh, there is a, there is a uh, disagreement or a dispute with some of the numbers that I just gave. Uh, generally speaking, do we think the number of people attempting to get in the United States is growing or is it fading? Fading. Fading. It depends on exactly. I mean, we need to be. If we're going to be specific, we need to be specific. What time period are we talking about? I'm, there's two other people at the table that are more knowledgeable than I am on this topic, so I, I suggest that we specify. Well, the what figure, we're the, about the figure that I it. saw was measuring March of 2017 with March of 2018, and the number had gone up. This was on Trump's watch. And by the way, I want to come back to the politics of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the the Trump politics of it. Uh, there was a big story last week about the Department of Homeland Security had been really she had been read the riot act by the president during a recent session, or uh, cabinet meeting last week, so much so that she considered resigning. Again, this is according to published reports, right. and the president and obviously you had Jeff Sessions giving his tough talk earlier last week, and the reports have been that the president is beside himself that he just cannot get control of this immigration issue, which he knows Mm -hmm. is issue numero one with most of his supporters. So, again, Mm -hmm. I mean, can you see the frustration? And as a Trump supporter, are you frustrated that the president hasn't been able to do as much as you had hoped he would? absolutely. I think that uh, most of Trump supporters, maybe all of Trump supporters, are frustrated that the wall, the, the construction of the wall, we have prototypes, but nothing has happened yet. Um, frustrated at the Republicans, uh, frustrated Jeff Sessions, frustrated um, all the way around. So I think that um, it's Absolutely. just, I don't even know how else to Well, what's put your it. frustration with Jeff Sessions? Um, not on the immigration What he said last week, issue. is that a result of, of the president being upset with him? Um, I don't know if I'm frustrated with Jeff Sessions over this particular issue. I think just I'm so frustrated with Jeff Sessions that it just naturally comes out of my mouth that we're frustrated with Jeff Sessions. Yeah, I, you know, it's really strange to me because Jeff Sessions, since 2003, since I've been on this issue, has been our darling. He's been in our corner. On other things, I'm going, Jeff, come on, get up, step up. But on this issue. But, but, but what I'm wondering, and Julia, maybe you've got a way on it. What I'm saying is, okay, here's a guy that because of the Mueller investigation, because of the FBI, yeah. the president is not 
you know, he, he doesn't like Sessions because he recused himself. Absolutely. So he's really PO'd Jeff Sessions on one issue. Yet, if Jeff Sessions continues to give the speeches that he gave last week mm-hmm. on the immigration issue, the president knows that that's the issue that really moves his base. It isn't the, it isn't the, uh, the Iranian or any of these other Iranian issues or Korea or anything else. So my question is, uh, Jeff Sessions is going to be damned whether he does or doesn't, right, Julia? Well, From I, a political I know he's not a fan of yours, yeah, or, he's, and he's, you're not a fan of his. <laughs> I don't think he knows me, but uh, I'm definitely not a fan of his. Uh, I will. I don't know, and I don't mean to be contentious in saying this, but I don't know that it's accurate that immigration or the border wall is the number one issue among Trump's base. I think there's a, it's certainly a big one. I'll grant you that, and it's certainly a bigger. Stop for one second. Yes. Can we just take a quick poll of two people here who are part of the Trump base because I think mm-hmm. they would disagree with you. How how many of, of our number Republicans one. think that that's the number one issue? It's the number one issue. I have a one A and a one B, but yes, I mean okay. immigration so would be up there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> it's. If, I, I guess that I would suggest that if that was the number one issue, then that's the only thing that they would talk about at his uh, at his campaign rallies that he's doing in Michigan and Indiana, and he's got a whole barrage of things that he trots out at those rallies. So you know, a big a big one up there is still you know we got to be investigating Hillary Clinton. I mean, that's a huge motivating yeah. factor among the base. So I don't know that it's fair to say that that's number one. But the question. I, I get off the point of the question though. The question was about Jeff Sessions. What did you want me to address? Well, no. I just want to is the. the the, the difficult situation he's in. I mean, he, he picks up the paper every day mm-hmm. and he reads about the president being upset with him about, about a particular issue. I mean, if I'm trying to save my job, I'm saying, wait a minute, the issue that I care about is the issue that the president also cares about. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, I'm, I'm going to be so vociferous mm-hmm. and so aggressive in the illeg- illegal immigration issue mm-hmm. that I'm going to have some leeway uh, if, if he's still mad at me because of uh, uh, recusing myself. But this is how I feel. He's saying something. I want to see some action. I want to know the numbers. And, you know, we're also frustrated with the whole DACA deal. So there's a lot of different fronts on the immigration issue. But, again, he said something. Now I want to see action. I want to go go back to what's happening right at the border. Because, obviously, we have an attorney general who's very, very strong uh, on this issue. His rhetoric indicates that. But... And, and, and a number of new prosecutors have been hired. He announced that last week. But, again, t- take us through. I, I want to know a little bit more about, about this process. And, by the way, I should say that this goes back many years. Regular listeners to the show know that, you know, I, I was at the border back in 1996. I saw a lot of stuff back then. Um, and, and, clearly, it was a sieve then. I mean, I, I was involved in interrogations with people coming to the country. Uh, they were going to be just put on a bus and dropped right across the border again. It was, there was no real thought that I saw when I was looking at it with my own eyes. So it's, it, it, and, and some of those issues, I think, probably are still there. But, but take us back to the border. How chaotic is it at the border when – let's, let's forget about someone that's part of a caravan. Mm-hmm. Some, some, some guy or some woman, they're trying to sneak into the country. One person at a time. How are they treated? Well, are they put on a bus and just sent across the border? Um, that depends. <clears throat> there is something called a voluntary return, or right now we are seeing an uptick in criminal prosecutions for illegal entry for people who cross illegally, right? Um, voluntary return is just basically when the person is allowed to return to the home country, um, generally if they're from a contingent country and mm-hmm. next door. Um, if someone does 
say they're afraid to go back, like I was mentioning earlier, there's a credible fear interview with an asylum officer in which they have to convince the asylum officer that there is maybe a 10% chance that they might have a potential asylum case, right? So if they pass that credible fear interview, then they could put in full-blown deportation proceedings. If someone who, if someone crosses the border, this is important, I think, for the audience to understand. If someone crosses the border and they are a Mexican citizen and, and we detain them mm-hmm. and we put them on the bus that was called catch and release, which was the policy I saw in, in 1996, they get on a little bus, they go across the bridge, and, and they're now on Mexican soil again. And again, I was told by the Border Patrol that person's going to try to get back into the United States. Maybe two or three days later, they, sometimes they see these people, you know, months that month after month. They're going to do it until they get through. Mm-hmm. But my question is this. If they go back to Mexico, is there any punitive action that Mexico does if someone tries to get out of their country? I'm not an expert in Mexican law. Um, I'll stick to what I know. But then there's also something that I think but, but is... But they a, don't want... But, but Mexico doesn't want... If someone is coming from Guatemala or Honduras right. or Central America, Mexico doesn't want those people. No. Right. Well, I'd like to interject something in this conversation, and that is to... Or I, I think that it's... Um, we're operating under... Some, the, the nature of your question is that there is an inherent negativity to people from Central America coming into this country. And I think that's flawed. As I said when I began speaking on this topic, we need to address our immigration policy. I don't think that it's a good idea for people to be violating the law. However, simply trying to close us down, which is what the Trump rhetoric is lately. We're shut down. We're closed. That's his language to Kirsten Nielsen, who he's been bullying this past week. No. You know, the, the United States, we're, we're closed. That's, that's insanity. Really? And, well, listen. Tell me what's happened. Let me some tell you what's happening. Some of my friends who've US had... tourism in 2017 was down to the tune of $3 billion. <clears throat> European tourism was down 10%. Mexican tourism was down 7%. These are, and we are now seeing agriculture being hit because there are not enough employees Ask, to harvest the vegetables. Ask Kate Steinle's family if they'd like to see tomatoes. the border shut that, that, down. That is an irrelevant example. We're talking no. gangs and people coming across the border on a seasonal basis to work and harvest and our vegetables for us are not the same thing. If you, look at, if you look at the facts and the actual numbers, per their share of the population, immigrants commit less crimes or are incarcerated Absolutely. criminally Absolutely less often incorrect. than they're... 100% finish, accurate. Absolutely. Let her, let her finish. Let no, her finish. If, you, if you look at the numbers and you look at the facts, <clears throat> you look at <clears throat> the portion of the population that is immigrants commit less crime. And actually, you do see several cities when the immigrant population increases, crime actually decreases. Yeah, I wish we could delineate here. I, I want to I ask this question to you. Would you say that if everything you just said was absolutely true, and I don't, I'm not questioning your integrity here, but if all that's true, would you also acknowledge that there have been a significant number of high-visibility cases involving Ill- illegal immigrants, mm-hmm. and sometimes perception is reality. And to many people listening to this program and to many people who voted for Donald Trump, they were affected by the Kate Steinle situation. E- even though, the, if that's one in a million cases, and maybe it is, that's the, that's the one that got on the front pages, and that's the one they can relate to. 
And what we have here is an administration who is increasingly hostile to immigrants and separating families at the border. So of course they're putting these cases out. Illegal. You know, it's really illegal. Not drawing distinctions between legal immigration and illegal immigration. They are going after people that are law-abiding citizens, and they're framing it in this, you know, this this thing about MS-13, and and it's completely fallacious. Julia, what law-abiding, what law-abiding citizens? the Trump administration going after? Oh, my gosh. How long do you have and how much can I Google? Every single week, there is another two dozen people that are being deported who are law-abiding citizens who have been living in this country for 30 years, who own businesses, who pay taxes. Who are legal, who are not illegal immigrants. Talk to my clients who are permanent residents who are put in deportation proceedings for a misdemeanor that they committed in 1996. Okay. I'm talking, but we're conflating two things here. We keep wanting to talk about illegal immigration, and we keep getting shut down by you saying it's irrelevant. There's no difference between them. Trump is against immigrants, against uh, immigrants. I said the opposite. And it gets there's no really, really them. old right now. There's, been I said there's no clear distinctions. Barack Obama deported a record <clears throat> number of violent criminals, okay. and I am fully in support of Barack Obama's attempts to. We should be deporting a lot. I don't know that deportation is the right answer. We certainly should be doing something to address the violence that is being committed by immigrants and by other populations. Right. The difference is that Barack Obama, with, while with the right hand was deporting violent criminals, with the left hand was signing legislation to grant legality to immigrants, DACA, who are here and contributing to this country. It's, it's, it, what, what this administration is now doing is cutting off our nose to spite our face, just going after all the brown people okay. and, and, you and know, completely that's, damaging Wow, what a dog whistle that is. Rosanna, Rosanna. We got we got a break back shortly. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. 7096 or visit him online at bryansellsthedesert.com Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Happy Mother's Day wherever you're listening from coast to coast and whether you're a mother or a daughter or a son again it's your day as well because mothers have children. So I suppose you should send a card to your children too right? Yes. You need them both. Yes. My question to you, uh, Jennifer uh, Nevins, you are our card-carrying Trumpster this evening, and you're a mother. How many uh, children do you have? I have two beautiful daughters, uh, Olivia and Mira. And tell us how you're, give us the short version. Mm. What, do, what do you do professionally when you're not on the radio talking uh, about <laughs> when Donald Trump? I'm not Trump? Uh, raising heck. I am the center director for an educational company. Uh, we do tutoring, test prep, and all levels of tutoring for K through 12, and I am the center director there. So Julia Klein is our card-carrying Democrat. Julia, 
Tell us about your background and what you're doing now. Uh, yeah, so I'm a sales and leadership coach, and I'm a best-selling author. My book is called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Sleaze-Free Selling. I'm also a uh, liberal, yes, it is possible, to uh, sell without being sleazy. Uh, it's fundamentally an exercise in identifying abuse of power wherever it shows up. Uh, and that's what I do in the uh, progressive political activism work. And where do you do come well. down on robocalls? On robocalls? Oh, bad idea. Uh, not effective. Sleazy, pushy, obnoxious, and rude. No okay. need to do it. I think everybody could agree with that. Sure. Roseanne Polito, uh, welcome back. You've been on this coming to this program since, what, 2003? Absolutely. I was one of the original Minutemen for the historic border watch on the Arizona-Mexico border. Returned many times. I was invited to testify before Congress about illegal immigration. I was part of You Don't Speak for Me, his, uh, uh, Hispanics speaking out on illegal immigration. And uh, the Illinois Minuteman Project I uh, founded when I came back from the border. And um, I just continue now. My passion is to make people aware that if their city council wants them to become a welcoming city, mm -hmm. that is the equivalent of a sanctuary city is what they're trying to do. I want to just add one follow-up question because, again, you've been on this program for a long, long time. And uh, you were on this program when uh, there weren't a lot of people that were agreeing with you. Absolutely. Uh, tell us, what was election night in 2016 like for you? Because there was a candidate that was out there. He was saying everything that you've been saying for 10 or 12 years. And you probably, in your mind, never thought there would be a candidate nominated by a Republican or any party that was going to say things that you wanted said. How did you feel that night? Well, I understood that he understood the pulse of the people, and that is what happened. He is in tune with the base, and he knew that it was an issue. So because he was in tune with us, he knew it was an issue. He even brought up many of my friends who have lost loved ones uh, to crimes with illegal Have you ever met him? Yes, I was. Yeah. I ran for an alternate delegate in Springfield. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's the mm -hmm. first time I met Jennifer. Okay, was in Springfield. Yeah. Kelly Fennell also joins us. Kelly, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I am an associate attorney at Hughes Sokol Pierce Resnick and Dem, right here in the lovely, uh, welcoming, and sanctuary city of Chicago, Illinois, and. Um, very passionate immigrants' rights advocate. Um, our team of seven immigration attorneys represents people and companies in business employment, immigration benefits, family-based immigration benefits, humanitarian immigration benefits, and even removal defense. Went to DePaul Law School? I did. Question. With all the disciplines of law that one could choose to make their profession, what was it about immigration law that drew you? Well, I did a lot of translating for refugees at my church in Indianapolis and was really involved with the community there. And it just lit a fire in my heart to want to be able to keep families together um, and help people. And it's been growing stronger and stronger ever since. Do you understand why many Americans view those who are trying to sneak in the country illegally uh, why they're so upset about that, that they feel that there's, uh, there's a difference between doing it legally and that you work on those that are working on it legally and those that literally are sneaking in the country and, and getting away with it. Do you understand the, the passion on the other side of the issue? 
Um, I understand the passion on the other side of the issue as well. I find with any hot topic issue, right, there's passion on both sides. And I think that one of the things that makes the United States great is that there is a space for people to be passionate about things. However, I think when you frame something as people sneaking in in the middle of the night illegally, that already paints it in a negative context. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of these people are coming here fleeing for their lives because they're afraid. I mean, no one makes that giant dangerous trek through Mexico for funsies. But when someone With says that someone is an illegal immigrant, uh, that to you is, is an improper use of the words you prefer undocumented? What's the term you use? Well, it depends, right? So each person is different, and there are several ways to be what people call illegal or what people be undocumented. Maybe someone came across the border um, unlawfully. Maybe somebody came in and then overstayed, fell, a, visa. overstayed a visa. Maybe somebody you know, got fired from their job and fell out of status. Or maybe someone was in an abusive marriage and couldn't file a petition to keep their green card going and because of that reason fell out of status. So just to say that every single undocumented person here snuck across the border is disingenuous. Jennifer, now uh, those in the Trump campaign mm -hmm. and certainly Trumpsters sometimes are, are viewed and painted with a broad brush right. by the media right. that you're, uh, you're heartless. You, right. you, 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 you don't care whether women and children are, are separated from their... Right, and we're painted as anti-immigrant, <clears throat> which is uh, really just such a false thing. I mean, it's infuriating. You're anti-immigrant. I mean, <clears throat> my, my grandparents were immigrants. I'm not anti-immigrant at all. Again, every case that you just mentioned, the examples you mentioned, all of those, and there's a lot of sympathy that I can give those individuals, but every single person you named, it's still illegal. They overstayed their visa. It's illegal. They couldn't file their documents. It's illegal. And when I say if someone did sneak over in the dead of night, and many of them do, I'm sorry that that sounds like a, a, a bad terminology, but if it's true, it's true. If they're undocumented, they are illegal. Words mean something. Sometimes the words and the terms fit. Do you think, uh, uh, Roseanne, during the campaign, President Trump said uh, that he was going to go after those that came into this country illegally and committed a crime. And uh, the other side, the Democrats, said that's going to be horrible. You're, you're not just going to stop there. You're going to just keep going. And people that have been here for 30 years, you know, the, 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 I am, uh, the uh, immigration ICE is going to track them down, uh, pull them out of their factories and send them back. Would you acknowledge that the president has gone a lot further and gone beyond the initial uh, uh, group that he said he was going to go after uh, and that he is going after people that have actually been here who have jobs and are contributing to society, not just those that have committed a crime? Or the crime may be a misdemeanor, not you know, armed robbery. We are a nation of laws. What laws can I break and get away with? You know what? I've traveled to Romania. I've traveled to the Dominican Republic, and I spent a year in Mexico. And I'm going to tell you that I had a very, very healthy fear of the, the authority. And so I understand, again, that's the way I live my life. There are consequences to our actions. And so he may be going after others, um, but there, I'm sure there was an infraction of the law. And you we know, need our laws in force. Kelly, a follow-up to you. Um, if you're, if you're a, a husband and you have a wife and children and you decide now that you're going to send your children and, and you're going to bring your family to the United States and you're either going to sneak in the country or you're going you're to seek asylum and you get to that border and, 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 the, and the, uh, the rhetoric of, of Jeff Sessions 
is read to you or if you've not been able to read it, you know that this country is getting tough. Is it being a good parent if you run the risk of losing or being separated from your children? And if you do that, isn't that your responsibility on your, that's your call? First off, my disclaimer, I am not a mother, <laughs> so I'm not, like, I'm going to throw that out there. But I think that's a very loaded question, and it also depends on, you know, what you're fleeing and why you're seeking asylum. When I go down to the border every year and I'm in a women and children detention center where we essentially are paying a private entity $300 a day to lock up women and kids in a facility where I'm told as a volunteer that I can't drink the water, where the women who go through a border go through holding processing places that they refer to as the ice box and the dog pound because of the conditions they're held in. If I know that and I'm aware of that, I'm not doing that unless there's a risk to me or my child. But I also want to make the point that, that we're, draw, we're saying you know, this country's a nation of law and order. And if you're illegal, you're illegal, you're illegal, and you just, there's you know, a hard line on that. I want to point out that there are all kinds of laws that are broken in this country every day. I would go so far as to say that every one of you that drives a car has driven above the speed limit. Uh, People drive under the influence. People that are uh, dispensing opioids uh, unlawfully. People that are taking opioids unlawfully. And we're all Americans. There's there's all kinds of things. What my point is that we, that by this administration having singled out this issue to be the thing that we are going to hang our law and order it isn't just, is quite Julie, false. it isn't just this administration. You said yourself, Barack Obama was the, was the deporter-in-chief. Yes. The reason he had problems with yeah. Luis Gutierrez and, and the Hispanic Caucus is that he was too rough. But yeah, I, except there that were the, Democrats the, that were giving him pressure. But I want to bring us point. back to the distinction that I made in the last segment, which is that Barack Obama was specifically going after people that were committing violent crimes. And, and yes, some on the left gave him pushback. That. I absolutely support that. Again, as I said before, I don't know that saying, oh, we're just going to shove him over there and make it somebody else's problem is the right solution. That's to bring in a yeah, different topic. That's what we did with Franklin Cruz, and then he came back to the violent school. Crimes, and-, and then they released them back into the United States. Fine. And that, that's what I'm saying. So that just over. deporting them is not necessarily the right answer. But what I did say before, and I stand by now, is that, is that dealing with and, 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 and punishing people who are committing violent crimes, whether they're immigrants or native-born, is a good thing to do. We can't allow people to be, be making violent crimes. But to be going after people simply because they snuck into the country to use that you know, give them a jab language you've been using all afternoon, uh, 30 years ago, give them a break. This one is a nation of immigrants. Thing. They came here. They succeeded. They're contributing. You, 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 get, you get a mulligan. One point I would like to make quickly. We've got to go to a break, okay. and we'll, we'll have you, you make that point when you come back. Lovely. 1-800-723-8289. <laughs> We've got a Mother's Day Donnybrook <laughs> in Chicago. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 
760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at bryansellsthedesert.com. His commentary. Back in Chicago. Uh, uh, we're going to take calls in just a moment. But again, uh, one of the things that came up, uh, normally you'd probably be getting a lot of publicity, but it's uh, uh, John Kelly, the, the chief of staff of the White House. He did an interview earlier this week with uh, National Public Radio, and he was talking about those that are coming, uh, that, are, that are rushing into the country. Uh, and he offered an assessment as to whether or not uh, they would be able to, to uh, um, mix well in the country and whether they'd be able to be contributors to the country. And this is what John Kelly had to say to NPR. The vast majority of the people that move illegally into the United States are not bad people. They're not criminals. They're not MS-13. But they're also not people that would easily assimilate into the United States. They're uh, overwhelmingly rural people. In the countries they come from, fourth, fifth, sixth grade educations are kind of the norm. All right, Julia, I'm sure that you, <laughs> you uh, that caused your blood pressure to go up when you hear him, heard him say that. I mean, all that needs to be said is that's the exact same argument that was made against emancipating the slaves. So it, it's racist to its core, it's ignorant, it's false, and bottom line, the argument we were having on the break is that this country does not have enough well-educated citizens. Employers are balking all the time that they can't fill the jobs, but the group, so we but need the group, more people coming in ta- here and growing but up. You're not arg- are you arguing that the group that he's talking about, which are, which are from Central America, are you arguing that they, are, that they do not have... Uh, the the education or the ability or the track record of education? Are you disagreeing with his his core point? I know you're, you're talking not, to Julia, but I'm just going to jump in here because I feel like I've been quiet for Please a while. Do. No, you have. Um, I think that when we just take an entire group of people and stereotype them based on their education, what may or may not be true for some of the group may or may not be true for the others. Exactly. I think you need to actually look at the facts and look at the bigger picture here instead Those of just putting everyone he in gave a box. The facts. And I have several clients over my past five years as an attorney practicing and representing people who did cross the border illegally, and my boss who's been doing it for 40 years who has been representing people who have crossed the border undocumented. We see people that don't fit into that stereotype. A lot of people that we work with don't. So I think that's a common misconception, and I think it's un-American to just throw all of these people into one label. And whether they have education or not, they most certainly have chutzpah. And it's my belief that the most important factor in determining a person's success is their determination that they're going to succeed. And for a variety of reasons, we have liberals and Democrats, urban and rural, around this country, that people who have lived here for generations in this country are not doing well. We have white people, we have black people, we have brown people in this country who are not doing well. We need stimulation of people who have energy and drive. And these immigrants coming in against all odds have that. How do you say to an American... Uh, who was born in America, right. uh, be they black, be they Hispanic, they're Americans. And, and what do you say to them is, okay, I want a job. I want to survive in this country too. And by the way, there's all kinds of people coming in from Central America or Mexico. Right. They're coming in this country. They're going to take my job because they will work cheaper than I, think I what I say to them is that's con- I think that's consistent with our history of scapegoating immigrant populations. They said the same thing about the Irish. They said the same thing about the Italians. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the so matter is, is when Georgia, for example, passed a lot of really harsh anti-immigrant laws, immigrants fled Georgia. And guess what happened? A lot of the produce died. 
-hmm. because there was no one there. And they tried to force prisoners to harvest it, but they didn't have the skills. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a, a false folks, argument we, we, because, we, you know, they're saying that then you're going to pay $15 for a hamburger. You are paying $15 for a head of lettuce because you're paying for the birth of the children. You're paying for their free education, their free health care, and so the head of lettuce does cost me $15. It, and that's a whole part of the discussion. You have to take that up with the Supreme we gotta Court. we got to take a call. Alan in Park Ridge listening to us on WCGO. Go ahead. I guess. Yeah, Let's go to Uh-oh. EJ at WC, uh, WCGO. Go ahead. Here. Rockford, go ahead, EJ. Hi, EJ. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a shame that Jeff Sessions did not have the presence of mind to include Illinois in that lawsuit against California to begin with. I mean, it's a good thing that you've initiated the petition, but it should not take individuals petitioning their government for redress of grievance. This was an idea that originated in the Justice Department, and it went to California. That's good, but it should go to Illinois, because how many states lay out the red carpet for illegals with that phony matricular consular card? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe they do it in California. I don't know, but it's not accepted in Mexico, and it's ripe with fraud, according to the FBI. So Illinois should suffer the same consequences as California. And, of course, if you have the appellate court stacked with liberal judges, you will not get a ruling that deprives them of their federal funding. EJ, here's a point. Uh, You mentioned about sanctuary cities uh, and those in California – there's a number of jurisdictions out there that are rising up. They are challenging the state of California, uh, which is imposing rules and regulations on them that they don't like. So they're rebelling against Sacramento, while there are other nations, including led by the governor of California, who is he's taking his fight and, and, and thumbing his nose at federal law. But again, just, just because of this, and, and again, at the moment, there's, there's focus on people in, uh, in Southern California who are taking on Jerry Brown. But you know, just a few years ago, there were 11, 11 sanctuary cities or municipalities or jurisdictions in the United States. You know how many there are today, post-Donald Trump? 564. Might as well be the new confederacy, huh? Well, there's something out there. So you know, you're, you're talking their... about the reaction to it. But again, 564, that, that's a tremendous uh, growth since Donald Trump has been uh, elected. And again, you these, are, the federal these, are people, law. these are people that are that they're voting. You know, whether it's Rahm Emanuel in Chicago, virtually every big city mayor is being forced because of the politics and their concern about the politics in their region to stand up to the federal government. Those people in the municipal areas want Santa Claus is what they want. And if you flaunt federal law, you might as well be the new Confederacy. Okay, on that note, listen, we have got a pause right at the moment. Thanks very much for your call. When we come back, if you're standing on the phone, uh, I'm going to ask you uh, to call back. We're going to pick up this discussion after the break. But when we come back, we're going to be joined by Mark Levin. He is with the Texas Public Policy Institute. It's not the talk show host. This is a guy who's interested in criminal justice reform. We're going to hear from them because there's been some movement in criminal justice reform. Uh, At the congressional level, we're going to hear about that and also about some other ideas that are out there insofar as discrepancy in sentencing and, most importantly, some of the changes in prison reform for those who are seeking to re-enter after they have been incarcerated. That's coming up with Mark Levin after the break. I'm Bruce Dumont. Another full hour coming up. 
Don't go away. Are you planning for the day? This spring, Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at BrianSellsTheDesert.com. Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of Roman innuendo all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Mark Levin of the Texas Public Policy Institute, Kelly Fennell, Julia Klein, Jennifer Nevins, and Rosanna Polito. Our program tonight coming from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you'd like to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com and also on the Beyond the Beltway Facebook page. And just go on that and get, get put that right in your Facebook and Befriend us, and we'll befriend you, and we'll always be friends. We'll always be friends, friends forever. <laughs> I will not, I will not defriend you. Uh, speaking of friends, an old friend of this program is going to join us now. Uh, he is Mark Levin. He is with the Texas Public Policy Institute, and within an organization called Right on Crime, which presents conservative perspectives to criminal justice reform. Mark, nice to have you with us. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. I'd, I'd like to begin uh, by, by summarizing, because longtime listeners to the program know that we've done a number of shows together. And before the 2016 
presidential campaign. It looked like there was a bipartisan effort making its way through Congress that had the support of the Koch brothers and the ACLU and virtually groups left and right as well as political leaders from each party. And it looked like there was going to be significant criminal justice reform. Then came the presidential campaign, and each side went to their respective uh, corners, and uh, things have now been, uh, or things were delayed. Um, what can you report to us tonight about how those efforts, which looked rosy a few years ago, that they may be on the, they may well, be back really on track? Well, it's really encouraging. It's really encouraging. I uh, was actually uh, at a luncheon on Friday with uh, Senator Cornyn uh, from our great state of Texas. Jared Kushner was going to be there, but his flight was delayed, but he joined us by phone. He was also slated to visit a federal prison later in the day, but of course he didn't make it. But he's so committed to this after having seen his father go to prison and meet some of the other men who his father were incarcerated with and saw how difficult uh, it was for many of them to reenter without having the um, support that uh, his father, Charles Kushner, did. So um, he's deeply committed to this. And of of course, the president in his State of the Union speech talked about second chances. It was a very important line, which got a huge ovation from both sides of the aisle. And now, just this week on Wednesday, uh, this landmark legislation dealing with improving uh, programming in federal prisons and providing earned time for completing those programs, that legislation passed 25 to 5 in the House Judiciary Committee. So uh, I think we're well on the way now to getting this done this year. Now, the piece that passed the Judiciary Committee last week was called the First Step. What is it, the First Step Act? So what are some of the things that passed judiciary last week? Because hopefully people listening around the country will want to uh, get to their sep- uh, representatives and tell them to support this when uh, it's called to the full house. Absolutely. Well, and it is called the First Step Act because there's more that needs to be done. But the consensus really has been around uh, in-prison programming and reentry, um, and the idea is that later uh, sentencing reform will be addressed, which is important as well. But what this bill does is for many federal inmates, it would allow them to, if they complete certain programs that are correlated with a reduction in recidivism, they would be able to earn a certain amount of time uh, off. Actually, their sentence isn't reduced, but they could spend the last part of their sentence in a transitional home or perhaps under house arrest. Um, And so it'll save money from that standpoint. But most importantly, it'll uh, reduce the number of people coming back into prison and increase the number of people who are productively employed, contributing members of society. And uh, it also includes some other provisions that were added in, like not shackling pregnant women, giving birth. Um, So there's a lot of good things in it. And um, uh, but it is the first step towards additional reforms as well. But this is just at the federal level at the moment, correct? Yeah, and, you know, 90% of the people that are incarcerated in this country are in the state and local level, so it's very wise of you to clarify that. But I think what we see is the atmosphere at the federal level does affect, to some degree, um, the discussions in the states. But really, the states have been the leaders, especially the red states, um, Texas, Georgia, um, South Carolina. These are states that have all reduced their uh, prisons, uh, number of people in prison, and reduced their crime rates dramatically through reforms, including these types of earned time uh, approaches. Explain, um, to, explain know, to the audience, Mark, but- explain to the audience, if you will, because uh, a lot of people just heard what you said, and maybe they're surprised by it. But over the last five to seven years, the states that have been out there leading in reforms have been, to some, surprisingly Republican states. 
what is it about Republican politicians and Republican policymakers in those states, what is it about criminal justice reform and prison reform that gets their attention? Well, I always like to say that uh, saving money is the appetizer and the entree, the main course, is redeeming lives. Um, you know, the idea of redemption, that we can all change. Um, and um, for many people, that comes obviously from a faith-based perspective. Um, but, you know, the results speak for themselves. In Texas, we've reduced the crime rate by uh, 30%, our incarceration rate by 20% since 2005. We've closed eight prisons. Georgia's another example. Nathan Deal campaigned for re-election as governor on the fact that under his leadership, black incarceration in Georgia went down 20%, and that's entirely true. Um, so a lot of states have done things like drug courts uh, that are proven to get better results than locking up someone who's addicted. A lot of states now are uh, doing things like in terms of expanding treatment for mental illness, which we did in Texas, but so many people that come into prison, um, it, it, but for their mental illness, they wouldn't have uh, committed a crime. And so um, there's a lot of smarter ways to deal with, you know, I always say we ought to be locking up the people we're afraid of, not those we're mad at. And we're locking up across the country hundreds of thousands of nonviolent offenders, uh, people that stole, sometimes defeated drug habit, people that were arrested for drug possession. Um, and at the federal level, there's a lot of drug offenders in federal prison, uh, mostly not possession, but for dealing a small amount of drugs on a street corner, someone who was a minor figure. They weren't, you know, we could all agree El Chapo should never see the light of day, right? And these programs aren't for him. Uh, but the vast majority of people in federal prison are uh, the drug offenders are people that are very low on the totem pole with very small amounts of drugs. Is, and um, we ought to be doing everything we can to get them on the right track. Is, is the big uh, uh, takeaway from, from where we are in this issue right now, is the big takeaway, Jared Kushner, is it, is it because personally he has an experience with the criminal justice system through his incarcerated father, who is now out, and he has the ear of the President of the United States? Isn't that the big difference between now and two years ago? Yeah, and I think a lot of Republicans in Congress, and, and, you know, it's understandable, they didn't exactly trust President Obama to implement these reforms. And there was also a big disagreement about, you know, mens rea, which, as you know, is an idea that you should have to have a criminal uh, state of mind, some intent, in order to commit a federal crime. You know, there's over 4,500 federal crimes now. Uh, there was a janitor in a nursing home in Washington who got hauled off by the police of the EPA. He didn't know there was a problem with how the water was going out of the building, but he still lost his livelihood and uh, could have gone to federal prison. So uh, the Republicans, back when Obama was president, wanted to have a mens rea default provision that says if the federal criminal law is silent as far as there being an intent element, then at least um, you would have to show negligence or uh, some level of intent to convict someone of a crime they didn't even know about. Mark, when um, we come back, you know, we've, got a, example, we've, got, a, we've, got, we've yeah. got a break right now. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the, about the reentry program. Uh, for people who have served. I mean, these are people that have already served their time. They've paid their dues. That's who we're talking about right now. When we come back, I want to talk about sentencing disparities. Back shortly. This spring, Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Thanks so much for joining us. 
joining us. We are joined by uh, Mark Levin from the Texas Public Policy Institute, not the, uh, the, the talk show host. I'm sure, Mark, you get that question all the time. Uh, a political question, Mark. Especially in airport security. A, a political uh, question. I know the PSA guy's conservative if yeah. they ask me if I'm him. You are moderate compared to the other Mark Levin. But let me ask this question. Of all the things that, that you've talked about, uh, and we talked about it a, a little bit in the first hour of the program, talking about the Attorney General of the United States. Some of these reforms that are being espoused by Jared Kushner and uh, those in the, in the Judiciary Committee. Um, in the past, Jeff Sessions has been an, an opponent. When he was a United States senator, he was opposed to a lot of these reforms that you favor. So my question is, if, he had, if Jared Kushner has the ear of Donald Trump, where does Jeff Sessions fit? Is he going to be a roadblock in, in, in seeing this past? And, and is, is he a roadblock to criminal justice reform unless the president says, hey, Jeff, knock it off? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Now, when Attorney General Sessions was confirmed as Attorney General, he emphasized that his job as Attorney General was to enforce existing law and not to make law, that making law was up to Congress. So uh, I certainly uh, think he was right about that. And, uh, you know, part of the existing law, I think, unfortunately, are some pretty severe mandatory minimums for relatively minor federal drug offenses that really tie the hands of judges to craft a sentence that fits the crime. And so I hope that can be addressed in the future. Obviously, as you noted, uh, when he was a senator, Senator Sessions opposed changes to federal mandatory minimums, but he hasn't been opposed to reentry. He did support the Second Chance Act uh, when he was a senator. And my understanding is he and Jared have worked it out that uh, there, there's, there, you know, there's support from the, uh, uh, the attorney general as far as this new federal reentry council, which he's uh, co-chairing with Jared. And um, the council is going to be doing some excellent work to mobilize all federal agencies to reduce barriers well, for this, people this, coming out of prison. So- this this reentry thing, it seems to me uh, a, a magic word here is redemption. I mean, if, if a core a, a constituency of the Republican Party are born-again Christians or evangelicals, they're hypocritical if they're not addressing the redemptive nature of what this legislation is all about. Someone made a mistake. We're not talking about letting people out of prison early, at least not this legislation. That's not what this is about. This is about people who did their crime, they did their time, and they want to get on with their life. They want to redeem themselves. And, 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 and all religious leaders that are out there proselytizing in, a, in America's prisons, I mean, this thing, to, to, to many people, not just conservatives, this should be a no-brainer. Because this system, criminal justice system, for a variety of reasons, is not working. Julia Klein, she's a Democrat. She's got a question for you, Mark. Hi, Mark. Um, I, the, I was surprised to hear you list South Carolina as one of the states that was kind of the good guys. And my basis for that is that just last month there was a huge riot that I'm sure you know a lot more about than I do um, in a South Carolina prison uh, that lasted for seven hours. It left 11 people dead. Another 20-some went to the hospital. And in my research uh, around that, what I was under the, – the impression that I was left with is that the South Carolina prison system – is not particularly concerned with uh, prisoner welfare. And perhaps what, it, what, what might explain the apparent contradiction here is what you have said several times, that this is just a first step, and it's not meant to address 
everything. But I'm wondering if you can speak to that at all, to, if, if, if you're familiar with that riot and, and how s the South Carolina can be a good guy on the one side and not so much so with this riot situation. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. Well, I was speaking mainly of the fact that they had, in fact, reduced the number of people in prison, and they had also reduced their recidivism rates, the number of people returning to prison. Um, now, you brought up the conditions in the prisons there, and that, that's obviously a whole other kettle of fish. Um, you know, uh, there certainly are problems, particularly in many of the southern states, uh, in terms of overcrowding. Um, a lot of times there's a real challenge is even after you save a lot of money, as South Carolina did from having fewer people in prison, a lot of that money, you know, perhaps went back to the taxpayer, which isn't a bad thing, but it didn't necessarily go to improve the conditions for the remaining people in prison. Um, generally, I mean, crowding makes things worse, of course, because you have people in prison sleeping on day beds um, where they're supposed to be programming, so you can't even do programming and constructive activities. So um, I do think that, you know, uh, I visited Germany and had a chance to look at prisons there and see a totally different model uh, yeah. where every person in prison is working. Um, they're responsible for getting to work themselves. They have cooked their own meals. It really promotes autonomy and self-sufficiency. And I think we need to move in that direction. Jennifer Nevins has a question for you. She's one of our Republicans. Hey, Mark. You know, you mentioned that there were eight prisons that closed in Texas and, you know, and that there that this um, has had a lot of success in that state. But it's largely a red state. And I'm curious as to how the messaging has been on this, because, you know, I, I'm sure Greg Abbott and company don't want to come across as if they are soft on crime. So how have they been able to successfully navigate? It sounds like they've been successful in navigating compassion on one end and being tough on crime on another. That's a great question. Yeah, I would say, you know, certainly the idea of being tough and smart at the same time and um, holding people accountable. And that doesn't have to mean necessarily incarcerating them. Um, but um, it kind of gets back to locking up the people we're afraid of, not those we're mad at. And even for the people that need to be in prison to make sure that there's the programs. And then when they come out, I mean, one of the things we found in Texas is people couldn't get a job uh, cutting hair because they had a drug conviction for many years ago. So uh, we went about removing those barriers with some changes to occupational licensing laws so these folks could get at least a temporary license to start cutting hair and doing lots of other things. Um, so I think a lot of it, and, and photo ID, I mean, we had to make some changes to make sure people were getting a photo ID when they came out of prison. How basic is that so you can get a job uh, and for public safety. So um, I think people want to, I mean, we've done some polling actually, and 80% of Texans, including Republican primary voters, support these types of reforms. They support drug courts and treatment alternatives for nonviolent offenders. Um, it's just overwhelming. And I think um, also, so the, I, the, I think the other point is that when we're talking about criminal justice reform, that is huge. It, this is not an issue that has that should have a comprehensive program. It's it's too wide. It's too varied. There's too, there's too there's too many nuances. But the point is, if you look, if you're a conservative, and you look at the criminal justice system, not just the prison system, the criminal justice system, it is every bit as bad, or maybe worse, than the welfare system that we talked about in this country for three decades. Until finally, Republicans and Democrats during the Clinton administration, they all got together and decided we're going to do something about this broken system called welfare. I've got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the criminal justice system in this country is broken. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we have some bipartisan activity going on, and it's, it's, these are baby steps. 
I mean, legislation is a series of baby steps. If you try to do too much, I mean, there are people who are more passionate about, you know, sentencing disruptions than those trying to seek a reentry. But from a political standpoint, and this is, this is what Republicans mm-hmm. have got to understand, this is not for people, this is not a soft on crime issue. Right. That, that is, someone creates a crime, they go to prison, they serve their time. This is about people who have served their time. Do you want them to come out and go right back in? That's idiotic. It's like trying to get somebody off welfare. Makes no sense. You have to have programs in the prisons. You have to have you know, reentry programs when you get out of prison. You have to have, and this is something else I want to ask you about, how open are, are, the, are the major corporations of America, Mark, in giving an opportunity as a second chance to someone that's committed a crime? Where is the business community on this matter? Well, it's really uh, starting to change a great deal. You know, a lot of companies are now no longer asking about, at least on the initial uh, application, a criminal background. So Coke Industries is one of the ones that's done that. And so they're aggressively um, hiring people who have a criminal record. Johns Hopkins University is another great example. Um, They've hired so many people and developed a whole process for this that's very admirable. Um, So it's gotten a lot better. And, of course, with the economy, the tightening labor market, the aging of our society, this is so important. You know, I was talking with the head of the prison agency in North Dakota, and she said the construction companies are coming now into the prisons, and they're training the folks there, and then when they leave, they already have a job. Mm-hmm. And these same construction companies went to high school, and nobody wanted, none of the high school students, she said, wanted to talk to them at all. Now, Arizona is doing this as well. Doug Ducey, the governor, has got this pilot program. Again, they already got jobs with the same company that trained them while they were incarcerated. The one barrier they found was transportation. So Arizona partnered with Uber, and the state government and Uber are each paying 50% of their rides because these construction jobs are on the uh, outskirts of Phoenix and there was not public transportation. Are you running, are you, are you running into opposition uh, by labor unions that don't like the idea of someone being trained in prison to do work? That's been a problem. There's something called the Prison Industry Enhancement Program that you can get a federal waiver from certain wage and, you know, OSHA regulations and all of that. And it's very hard to expand that because there's been opposition from um, labor unions and also even some companies, uh, I think, wrongly think. We had a situation in Texas where there was a Prison Industry Enhancement Program that made trailers. And this company in Texas that made trailers uh, thought that they were unfairly competing with them. The reality was almost all the trailers were coming from China anyway. Um, so the prison, you know, uh, factory was a minor player in the whole market. Mark, so, we have less. We have we have less than thirty seconds left. I want tell everybody uh, how they reach you and the and, and the right on crime if they want to know more about your effort. But do it in ten seconds. It's rightoncrime.com and uh, come check us out. Sign up for the email list. Rightoncrime.com. Pretty easy. Rightoncrime.com again. Cr- a criminal justice reform. Uh, We've done many shows in the past. We're going to do a lot more shows because, as I mentioned, uh, again, if if you were infuriated about welfare, uh, you will be infuriated about the criminal justice system. The more you look into it, the stinkier it looks. And we're going to continue to talk about it on Beyond the Beltway. Mark Levin, thank you for your good work. We will continue from Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? 
If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. We're still back in Chicago. We're going to take calls in just a moment, but uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, what Mark Levin had to say. And uh, what's your reaction? You're, you're, yeah, I, no. want to, I want to hear from the right side of the table this evening as to. Sure. No, I mean, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. I think um, there's two separate issues we're dealing with here. And that's why my question about messaging was so important, because when you talk about on the surface, when you talk about prisons closing and about anything to do with criminal justice reform, if it's not explained properly and, and delineated um, correctly, people can jump to the conclusion that you're soft on crime. And I think that what this organization is doing and what, what Trump has spoken out uh, about um, is very true. People who have served their time, who need to, it's in our best interest to have them be productive members of society. So I think that if this is explained to people in the right way, I think um, conservatives of all stripes would um, embrace that to a greater degree. And again, many men, leading conservative uh, spokesmen are are members of this board. Newt Gingrich is one of the longtime members of this. Roseanne, your, your point. Well, I worked in a call center where I would actually talk to some of these people about what they needed to get an ID. Ex offenders. Yes. And, you know, it was crazy to me why they were not given them before they left, because if they wanted to go get a job and have an ID, uh, they were, you know, just going in circles, not knowing where do I get this? They took it away from me in prison. I don't have a birth certificate. I don't have... So mm-hmm. I, I like what he said, that something they really need. And it's very basic. And it, 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 it's very basic. And I know of a case with someone released from prison. They went to the Secretary of State's office in Illinois. They had to go back four times to prove who they were. Now, they had been in prison for four or five years. They didn't have all this stuff. But I do not understand why. And by the way, their last known address, their last known address for five years was a federal penitentiary. So my question is, when some, simple like, when you are released from a federal prison or a state prison, why, why do you not have an ID right. that then can go to the Secretary of State to get your driver's license, as opposed to making them go back three or four times right. and asking for things that they cannot have? It, it, that's what I'm saying. If you, if you look at the, at, the, at the point-by-point procedures that go through, it is absolutely horrendous. Absolutely. The way we treat people who have done the time, done the time. Absolutely. I'm not talking about being. I'm not being soft on anybody. Right. No. I'm not soft on crime, but it's it's common sense. It should be handed to them on their way out. Yeah, right. uh, Kelly, uh, it, it's it's off your topic. But what do you think of this topic? I mean, 
no disagreement for me here. I think prison reform and restorative justice are very important, and I think you know we should focus on rehabilitation and reintegration into society because as many people, I think we all agree that you know continuing to pump people back through the prison system is just ineffective. I think it's an interesting. Uh, I'm sorry. I think it's an interesting um, segue though from our conversation about illegal immigration that you could have many people who are getting out of prison saying, "I'm having a really hard time getting a job. I can't get hired," but yet someone who comes in who's undocumented. Um, has a greater chance of getting a job than I do. And I will do manual labor. I'll work the fields. I'll do anything to get back on my feet. So. Uh, Julia, your response to, uh, to the topic. Uh, yeah, so uh, disagree with what Jennifer just said wholeheartedly. Of course you do. Um, but uh, 100% agree with the fact that we need significant prison reform and we need to treat people who have been incarcerated with far more dignity. Uh, we need to give them every opportunity available to improve themselves and, uh, and successfully reintegrate back into civilian life. Civilian life is not the right term. I guess I'm not clear right. on what I said that would be something that would be that you would disagree with, that there are people indeed getting out of prison that aren't frustrated, that they can't find jobs, and that maybe people who are here who aren't supposed to be here have an easier time of getting jobs because it's true they can get jobs easier than someone who what doesn't dis- even have an ID. What I disagree with is that, that. It, it's, it's a it's a false uh, a comparison. Um, no, the people who are coming, the, 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 the people who are incarcerated, the number one reason they can't get a job is because they're a felon. That, that prejudice against them is the reason they're not getting a job, right. not because there are immigrants taking jobs that they would otherwise take. As far as I'll do farm labor, sure, if they happen to live in a rural area, most of them don't. Most yeah. people that are but, recently but my point prison though, live in But my point still stands, though, that if the government is making it difficult, really, and it is, the government is, is putting a roadblocks up to people getting positions who are getting out of prison, but yet similar roadblocks don't exist for the undocumented population, I think that my example the, is germane. Part of, the, part of this uh, conversation that you talked about, and that is you, the, the messaging, how it's messaged. Yes. And, and I think another significant role, and, and, and this is where, where Jared Kushner, he's got the, the ear of the president. This is where America's corporations, I was glad to hear Mark talk about you know, John Hopkins and, and, and other organizations. Uh, the restaurant industry has usually been very receptive to people uh, getting a second chance. Because, again, they, they have a skill set. They're not, they're not being given a job that they can't do. But the point is mm-hmm. they, they need, and this, this, gets, this gets back to... Uh, the Republicans. I'm going to be specific yeah, here. Go ahead. It gets back to Republicans and born-again Christians and evangelicals. If you really believe your religion, mm-hmm. you've got to be out there in the, in the lines marching for, these, for the people that need help. Mm-hmm. It's about redemption. You either believe it mm-hmm. or sure. you're a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to soften that message. Right. But, I mean, that is that – is, and, and you, sure. you, you also mentioned – this, there's also a political development to this. If, if, if you're an ex-offender right now right. and you're trying to get a job, you don't give the Republican Party a second chance to come up with an idea for you mm-hmm. because there's a perception mm-hmm. based on the right. tough on crime sure. that the Republicans – don't give a rat's ass right. about you. Okay. And Mark just dispersed that idea. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And, and, and that mm-hmm. is, that, that's a messaging right. thing. This could, this could be an organizing right. thing for Republicans or conservatives because in many cases the Democrats may feel it, right. but the Democrats will have a tougher time politically mm-hmm. maybe than the Republicans on some of these issues mm-hmm. or because they won't be believed. It's like who can – you know, who could go to North Korea? Right. Donald Trump could go to North Korea. Who could have a dr- tremendous 
change in the way the Republican Party or conservatives or anyone mm-hmm. or, or, or an issue that, that's bipartisan. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is an issue where everybody could agree that it's a good idea, and it makes sense. Everybody it except makes, Jeff Sessions, apparently. It makes sense personally. Mm-hmm. It makes sense morally. It makes sense in a fiscal way, and you're right. He may, this is probably one of those you. things. He's got to probably bring Jeff Sessions in and sit him down and say, listen, mm-hmm. I'm pissed off at you on another matter. Yeah, now right. clean your act up. Well, and I, 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 my suspicion is that uh, from what we've all learned about Jeff Sessions over the years is that his the stance that he takes on criminal justice is tinged with his beliefs about race. And when he thinks prisoners, he thinks African-Americans. I don't know if you were listening to Mark. He said the exact opposite. I understand that that Mark Mark said the opposite. I'm talking about Jeff Sessions. He was talking about Jeff Sessions, saying Jeff is stepping back, saying it's not my job to make law. That's Congress. That's what he said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what Jeff Sessions, as you said before, there's a big difference between what people say and what people do. And what Jeff Sessions has done is he has given instructions to the entire DOJ Mm -hmm. to say, you know, forget about those, we talked about Eric Holder before, forget about those Eric Holder era, you know, being, you know, soft on crime. But that that was about early release Mm -hmm. um, based on the discrepancy, the the racial discrepancy caused by, uh, by sentencing. And by the way, that was true, and I agreed with it. And we talked that about it on this That wasn't the only program. piece that he, that, uh, <clears throat> Eric Holder that he was but, trying to throw but, out. But what he was I'm trying saying, to throw it all out. But what I'm saying is... And that that's you, why Republicans get a bad rap on this stuff. Because but but the other point is, is you have a situation where, as I talked about, you can't have a... Co- this is not a comprehensive discussion. Mm-hmm. Because there were, people, there were people that opposed the Judiciary Committee vote last week because they wanted more in the legislation. They wanted to deal with sentencing discrepancies as well. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans said, basically, we support that, but let's not put it in this bill because we won't get, we won't get the votes for it. And as you know politically, I mean, everybody knows, you, you, first of all, you've got to come up with an idea where you do need the compromise. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you, and maybe you have to do a series of baby steps. And I think whoever came up with the idea of naming this first step I think was pretty brilliant because it is a, almost you could say a first baby step. Yeah, and may I add that the Illinois General Assembly has been, the majority has been Democratic for such a long time, and I don't see them moving, making it easy for people getting out of prison to get an ID, where they you talked not. about the Secretary of State. That's they correct. Uh, let's go to Redding, California, listening to us on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. It's Jim. Go ahead, Jim. Hello? Jim, are you there online, too? All right, let's go to Sherry, listening to us, watching us on Facebook. Go ahead, Sherry. Yes, hi. Um, I wanted to let you know that this whole issue is not about race. It's about numbers. And I'm a plaintiff in a lawsuit to stop the city of Gary's welcoming city policy. And people, everyone I think knows that Gary has um, very few jobs, very high crime, and I don't understand why the city of Gary would want to protect illegal immigrants instead of helping their own people who are coming out of prison get a second shot at life. Those are the people that should be getting jobs, not illegal aliens. Absolutely. Okay. That's the same thing we have going on right now in Springfield, Illinois. Yes. We have a huge homeless population mm. that need help. 
and they'd rather invite illegal aliens to Springfield that's going to be a burden on the taxpayers than helping our American citizens who are, who are homeless in Springfield. I don't get it either, Sheree. Kelly. First off, I think a huge problem is that we have to, to figure out, okay, do we help immigrants or do we help homeless people or do we help vets? Why can't the answer be all? all? And first Should off, be. the idea, one of the main ideas around welcoming communities or sanctuary cities is the fact that people living in those communities, irrespective of their immigration status, feel comfortable reporting crime to the police. That's and, 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 may I please finish? finish. Thank you. And I mean, and another component of that is the whole idea behind a sanctuary city isn't saying we're putting up a wall and we're, you know, locking all of our immigrants in churches and we're not letting the federal government in. No, if there is a federal judicial warrant out there, specifically if you look at the Trust Act, they're allowed to comply. They're allowed to comply. comply. They are allowed to comply, but they don't have a federal judicial warrant. Presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. First to my back, uh, we're going to go to a Facebook uh, post. Uh, This is from Martha, and she writes, First and foremost, we have laws in this country, and Jeff Session is a law and order guy. Eric Holder was anything but law and order. So to compare the two is an injustice. But bottom line, if people don't like the laws that are trying to be followed, then urge your state reps to change the laws. But for sure, laws cannot be based on emotion. That's the point. I want to talk, I want to switch gears. We've got just about 15 minutes later. We'll take one more call in just a moment. But another big issue this past, this is, these these weeks with Donald Trump as president, it's just (laughs) mind-boggling. We we could do a whole show just on one subject. Uh, Gina Hassel, uh, who's been with the CIA for a long time, uh, she's gone before the uh, uh, hearings, confirmation hearings. Uh, the president wants her to be the new CIA director, and uh, she spent uh, much of the week on the hot seat. What was your reaction to Gina Haspel? Do you support the idea of a, of a woman being the first head of the CIA, Julia? Yeah, I have several different reactions to her. First of all, I think that she should be confirmed. Um, second of all, I think the questions that are being raised to her um, by everybody are sexist in their nature because nobody asked John Brennan um, about the same questions. Bingo. So it, it's very sexist that Gina Haspel is being asked these questions when he wasn't. 
Um, and and I, do, I, I also think that um, I, I want to call out many people on the left who are accusing her of not having directly answered questions during the hearings. I don't think that's accurate. I didn't listen to the entire hearing, but I've listened to a lot of clips. Oh. And for the most part, she did not answer the question of whether she currently believes that that, that, that treatment, that what we are now calling torture, was immoral or not. She, did, she dodged that question. But all the other questions, she answered. And the, the, she, she said she'd never do it again. She absolutely did. And she, she explicitly said that she would stand up to Donald Trump. Now, whether it turns out that when she's in that situation in the future, which of course she will be with the path that this administration is taking us down towards war, of course we're going to be in that situation again. Whether or not she's... Korea. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Whether or not she's going to stand by what she said is another issue. But she absolutely said the right things. And given the fact that if we don't uh, uh, confirm her, we're going to get freaking Tom uh, Cotton as our CIA director. So we're going to get somebody far worse. So she's not great... Everybody to, agree, does everybody is everybody her. agree that uh, that she should be confirmed? Yeah, no. I mean, I am actually um, surprised. I think maybe it's because she's I'm a not woman. a partisan hack. Well, no, I think it's probably because she's a woman. But that's great. I mean, I'll take it. Um, the fact that Gina is held to a uh, a different standard than Brennan was, and that thousands of CIA operatives uh, were held, they're not being held to account. They're not being uh, told to kneel right now um, based on what they did in the past. So I think that it was entirely disingenuous. And I do have to mention just real quick about John McCain because he weighed, he weighed in, uh, waited into this. He, he voted for Brennan. Um, knowing his past. And, you know, Brennan was in a much higher position uh, in the CIA than Gina Haspel was. But yet he's coming out and saying that her stance on waterboarding disqualifies her. And what that is is it's just an anti-Trump uh, thing that he's doing right now, and it's it's a sad spectacle, and um, it's really something uh, to behold. And she is going to get confirmed, but it's really just a shame that this is even happening right now. It really is. Uh, Kelly, uh, how do you feel about? It? I don't know how many, if you saw any of the hearings or not, but again, uh, she was real pretty good, and and I think I agree with your assessment. I mean, I I think the Democrats that were going after her, uh, they wanted her to denounce a program which they feel was immoral. Mm-hmm. At least 17 years later, they think it's immoral. And these are people like Diane Feinstein and 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 uh, right. uh, this, uh, Harris. Well, that well, I'm talking about the people that Mark voted Warner. for it. Right. They voted for right. it. They voted. Right. They Feinstein voted did. for it. Voted for it. And they knew about it. Ah, they knew was, in the wake right. of 9/11. Uh, Diane Feinstein. No, nobody was was challenging right. what was happening. And here now it's 17 years later, and they're holding her up to a yeah, standard. And I know, I know that I want to give Kelly a chance to answer, but I want to point out the, the, um, the other thing that Haspel is doing, in my opinion, is she is taking a very strong stand for the people who report to her. Because what she recognizes is that if she were to say, yes, I believe that was immoral, the very next thing that this deeply partisan, divided Congress is going to do is start going after people that were below her on the food chain. So I think it's very strong and very honorable that she's taking the stand to take the heat and say, I am going to protect my people. And she's getting heat for doing that, but I think that that's commendable of her. And also... Kelly, I give you my time. <laughs> so um, I don't want to see her confirmed just because she's a woman, right? I think that yeah, nor would do set I. us back. And I don't think any of us at this table do. I mean, I think that we all agree yeah. that women are consistently held to a higher standard than men, and I think that's something that happens on both sides of the aisle. I do disagree with you on the point that I would like to hear her more strongly take accountability that it wasn't moral, even though she didn't said she'd, she did say she wouldn't do it again. But again, I haven't listened to all of the hearings. Um, she wasn't perfect, but yeah. she's not Tom freaking Cotton. That's my point. She's the best by a lot that we're going to get. And she's been there for 30 years, and she has the support of all 
previous right. CIA directors, she does. Republicans and Democrats, right. Right. and again, the people that are opposing her. I mean, uh, Rand Paul is opposing her because he opposes a, an aggressive foreign policy. Right. And he spoke, yeah. uh, he spoke out against it when it was happening. And also, I mean, he's been consistent in that. Right. John McCain, I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, inconsistent. John McCain has an axe to grind. Yes. Deservedly. Donald, no, uh, yes, to, to, to some extent, okay? Right. Donald Trump said something that was very offensive to many people and offensive yes. to John McCain. And John McCain and never apologized. is old, irascible, and he's going to get even. So he's going to get even. He got, you know, he's gotten even on a couple of legislative things already. Right. But, but John McCain, in his closing moments on this earth, is spending them in a bitter, vindictive yes. way. Which I think, when when the great call is made up yonder, I mean, there's a lot of people in this country who once upon a time loved John McCain. I think they a don't person, like John McCain the last ten years. I think a person who is a vet who has suffered torture has the right to speak out and he voice does. his opinion for someone who participated. In and it. I don't think he's being bitter and vindictive. I think he's being well, principled and strong. Yeah. People on the left always say that about John McCain. What does that tell you? Not always. No, yeah, definitely not. Not always. <laughs> not when he was he running did. for every, president. Every liberal I've been on bitter this show with vindictive. have loved what John McCain they is selling. Love Ever since love he's him. in comparison to Donald Trump. Trump. Yes. And none of them voted That's for right, him. That's right, but they sure He's a lot better than Donald Trump. They sure love him. candidate, and I was very loud against that. Okay. On that note, uh, Kelly Fennell, thank you very much. First uh, visit to us. Uh, nice thank job you. tonight. Julia Klein, thanks very much. Those have our, been our uh, left of center guests. Uh, we'll throw you with the left of center column tonight, uh, J- uh, Kelly. And also Jennifer Nevins and Roseanne Polito, thank you very much. Happy thank birthday you. to you. Thank you. And our thanks to uh, the ever popular uh, Fritz Goldman and Dan Dorfman and Sam Greenberg for their assistance in the production of this program. Again, happy Mother's Day to everybody. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from sh- Chicago. This spring, Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. 
Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. 